And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And as always, I thank you so much for joining us here on the program and uh, being with us to uh, talk, uh, to listen to a conversation that I'm going to have with my very special guest uh, and the subject matter that we're going to talk about today. Uh, the guest today is Faith Alicia. She is the author of her latest work, Do You See What I See? And she's coming to us all the way from the East Coast, from Florida, uh, and uh, via Zoom. And I thank you so much, Faith, for joining us on the program today. It's really a pleasure to have you with us. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. This is uh, going to be, I think, uh, um, I think it's going to be quite a, an enjoyable conversation that we're going to have, especially with your your latest work. Do you see what I see? Um, give us a little rundown on um, how to how how how. I, I guess I guess I'm going to have. I, I like to try to come from my perspective in terms of sharing a little bit of, of my life and and somehow relating it to the conversation. Uh, and um, I, I feel as though part of what we're talking about here, of course, is it's an interactive workbook. This is what your book is, Do You See What I See? It's an interactive workbook of uh, personal reflections, strategies, as well as a tool for everyone suffering from an eating disorder. But when I first saw this, I thought, well, yeah, we can certainly, and we will absolutely talk about this from the context of eating disorders. But I thought this has to encompass more than that. In other words, this can be utilized in so many other areas of our life. Am I right? I totally agree. 100%. So, so from that standpoint, tell us how you became involved in, in this particular subject of eating disorders and creating this workbook for people to help them to understand you know, who they are, where they are, why they've gotten to where they are, and so forth. I mean, I have all kinds of explanations, but uh, you're the one that uh, is, and I use the term uh, advisedly only because I don't know uh, per se, as we converse, I will, your level of expertise, but we're talking here to the expert because you're the one that's written the book and put this together. So tell us how, how this affects you, why you felt it important to put this together. Well, I can say I'm an expert only in that I'm recovering from an eating disorder. Other than that, I'm not, you know, a professional therapist. And when I, I developed my eating disorder, actually later, usually it happens earlier in life. And after my third pregnancy, I suffer from an anxiety disorder and it just sort of morphed into an eating disorder. And when I went to treatment the first time, you know, I was trying to learn about eating disorders and all of the books that I found were either written by, you know, therapists, psychologists, or people who had recovered. And I'm putting that in quotes mm -hmm. because some people believe in full recovery and that's fine. What I found difficult was, you know, when I was in the throes of an eating disorder to look at somebody on the other side, like, well, how do you get there? I'll never get there. It was too far ahead. I just couldn't fathom, well, I'm never gonna get there. I heard on you know another speaker once say, terminally unique. And I think for most of my life, I really looked at my anxiety, my eating disorder as I'm terminally unique. 
Nobody can feel the amount of anxiety that I feel. Nobody can understand the pressure I feel. And it's, you know, it's a very suffocating feeling to feel that alone. And when I was in treatment, I started to journal and we did art therapy and I would draw these little, they're kind of cartoonish of myself. And as I began to do that, and I had more and more pictures, I was like, wow, this would be so cool to put this into a book of someone who's actually going through the process. This book spans my nine years of recovery so far. And it's interactive in that I share where I'm at and recovery is up and down like life. It's never, you know, rainbows and ponies. There's all kinds of stuff that we have to face. And just the challenges I've walked through and the ups and downs. And, and then I give the reader some prompts and reflections to think about. I, I really tend to view recovery as a we process, not a me process. And that's where that suffocation of terminally, terminally unique comes in because we have to support each other. We have, you know, life is about community and we have to do this together. Mm. Now, uh, the, you know, you're you're sharing your story here and talking with us about how you have come to uh, our microphones, as it were, uh, to share this uh, this information and and who you are and what you're all about. <clears throat> and yet again, I, I I hear you, and I'm also hearing in my in in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, wow, this this seems to encompass a lot more than just you know uh, getting control over what I'm eating. This, this goes deeper. There's something else going on that I am using, quote unquote, this disorder, whether it be eating or drinking, or uh, I would venture that there are people who even use um, extreme activities, extreme sports sometimes as a, uh, as a, it, that can be considered because they're using that as an escape. What is it that people are, uh, in your case, what was it that you were, I don't know, covering up, trying to escape from, uh, trying to soothe, if you will, um, self-medicate using food in this regard or, or whatever method, uh, however this was being used? There's, there's a deeper issue that's going on here, isn't there? I love your insight. Like, you're spot on. You know, I view my eating disorder like an like alcoholism, drug addiction. It is a symptom of underlying. And when I first went to treatment, it was more, you know, just the danger of my health. It wasn't even getting to the nitty gritty of what's underneath. It was more, I've got to get this under control because I don't want to die. I have three kids and, you know, I, I want to live. And what goes along with that is I was actually in a support group yesterday and it was, I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live this way. So if we dig deeper into that, the past few years, I have really dug in to the core issues of why the eating disorder came into place as a protector, so to speak. It's really not because it's harming myself, but it was underlying, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic family. One of my sisters is also, you know, recovering addict. There was a lot of screaming. So it was just a very 
you never knew if somebody was going to scream or very fight or flight, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I can say, well, there's the beginning of an anxiety disorder because it's always like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? So getting into those core beliefs of not feeling good enough, not feeling that I deserved to be heard, that my voice had worth because as a child, it really didn't. I kept my opinions to myself. I, I felt that even if I did share them, I didn't want to get in trouble or people would take, you know, family members would take it personally. So you learn just, just keep it within and hold all your secrets and secrets are shameful. You know, the alcoholism, it's shameful. Nobody can know about it. We have to portray to the world that we're a perfect functional family when in the walls, it was anything, but there was codependency. It just a lot of dysfunction. So basically I, you know, grow up an adult child who really never had my needs met. And in recovery, when I'm asked, well, what are your needs? Huh? I don't know. Because I, I was never important enough to try to get my needs met. I have to make you happy. And this one has to be happy. And this child has to be taken care of. Everybody's in front of me. I came last. And the eating disorder became a way of, well, I can't control all these things around me, but I can control what I put in my body and how much exertion I put on my body. It's, it's a form of unhealthy control because I'm completely powerless over everything outside myself. Hmm. We are talking with Faith Alicia. She's the author of Do You See What I See? It's a uh... I, I would say it's it's a book on recovery, if you will, and uh, basically um, uh, talking about what we see in the mirror, who we see in the mirror. I have to uh, acknowledge and admit that, yeah, there are times I look in the mirror, I'm going, who the heck is that? I, I don't feel like that person, you know, and I like to think that I'm fairly well adjusted, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, I know that we all have these issues, and we're going to talk about those as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. This is a program designed with you in mind uh, to help you find those new ways of living uh, with our guest, Faith Alicia, and her book, Do You See What I See? Faith, let me ask you... Uh, when you when you look in the mirror today, who do you see? And I don't know if I should extend that to who do you see, what do you see, etc. Uh, because obviously, over the course of time, it didn't make any difference what other people saw. Because the only thing that was important was what you saw. Exactly. You know, when we're talking about, and and I think it could be with any addiction. So for me, when I used to look in the mirror, it's just the focus on the body. It's really a metaphor because the focus is all on the surface. It's never going within. So I'm just looking at the surface of, and it, it correlates with not good enough, not this enough, not deserving enough, just all these things. And today, when I look in the mirror, I see a person with a very kind and loving heart, a person who is very spiritually centered, 
because that has been a very big part of my recovery. An empathetic person, you know, I, I see positive. And when I say, you know, these are things I see, if you notice, none of these have to do with my physical being because I'm learning who I am at my center. I never knew that. I, I did, but I never, you know, oh, okay. But these are important things because this is who I am, not what I see in the mirror. It's my shell, so to speak, but it's, it's who I am at my core is what's important. I was watching a TV show the other day. I love married at first sight. And there's, you know, one of the professionals on there, Pastor Cap, love him. So two of, one of the couples was talking and, you know, the woman is sharing and then the man is saying the things that really annoy him about her. And, you know, listening and Pastor Cal then said, because then the woman's like, oh, you know, I should change this. And then he's like, you don't have to change anything about yourself. If someone has an issue with you, that's his problem. In this case, it was the husband that there is nothing wrong with you and you don't have to change anything about you because you're perfect the way you are. And I, I look at things as messages. So I'm very open to messages that I receive. And it just was like, oh my gosh, that's it. I don't have to change myself for anyone except me or not for who I am as a person. And in the past, it was, will change for everyone because I want acceptance so badly, the fear of rejection or abandonment which I still have those fears. I don't like necessarily to be abandoned or rejected, but the strength within is stronger than it used to be. You know, this is, uh, this is a tough one for a lot of folks because this affects the totality of their lives. But you mentioned something very, very important that, um, that uh, we talk about on a regular basis on this program. It's, it's a mantra, but it's a, it's a campaign, it's a slogan, but it's something very real. And, and I'm probably um, as neglectful of doing it consciously, but at the same time very aware of when I get the promptings, and that is in terms of going within, in terms of listening to that still, small voice. And I'm wondering how that has progressed for you, because you talked about going within, <clears throat> uh, which is where we get the answers that we really need. But I'm guessing that making sure you're listening to the right voice is important because you have those other voices inside that are repeating a lot of what you've either heard from others or that you have extrapolated from what other people have said and you now say them to yourself or you used to anyway uh, that helped to perpetuate uh, in your case this dis this eating disorder can you talk to us about that relationship that you have with that still small voice? You know what? I'm going to be honest and say it's not small. <laughs> I, it's okay. not small. Okay. You know, I'm not perfect. I honestly believe when I wake up, my default is to go back to those old tapes. Overwhelmed. It's too much. So I have to consciously, it's self-care, sit down 
get centered. Meditation has become very important to me. I could say it's just this past weekend, you know, it was a three day weekend. Everyone's home. Not everyone. Cause two of my kids are away in school, but you know, families around. And when that happens, I, you know, I didn't meditate and it's mind boggling how just taking two or three days off, how the negativity it breathes, it just grows and gets into like a, a, a funk a mindset, a negative mindset. So I have to reset. So yesterday morning, okay, we're, we're back in, you know, and, and I like these, I don't look at it like, Oh, what'd you do? No, this is a wonderful learning opportunity to see how important it is to put myself first to meditate, because that does center me, it just allows me to breathe and give me a fresher, healthier perspective. So I can act and not react. And this is so not easy. It sounds easy. This has been years of work. I also belong to a 12 step program, Codependency Anonymous. So, you know, just in working with that and developing a relationship with a higher power has helped me. And then with meditation, it helps to, you know, just strengthen my belief in a higher self, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's interesting because. I'm in a phase in my life where it has been suggested that I uh, attend uh, um, uh, CODA meetings. And fortunately now, of course, uh, we can do that online, which is kind of nice. It's not quite the same, but it certainly would have the, have the same effect. Now, I haven't done that yet, but I'm sitting here going, wait a minute, I understand what codependency is and, and uh, all of that stuff. How in the world, why would I need that? I don't understand. And the only thing that I can think of is that I, I exhibit a particular behavior that I put under the category of um, chivalry. I was raised to treat people kindly, to help them whenever they needed it, to offer uh, and so forth. They can certainly decline the help, but I, I always want to put that forth. And I guess, I'm just guessing here, you've, you've got the, uh, again, I'm not going to put the expert label on you, but you have the experience going to these meetings and understanding it, that I guess that can turn into codependency in that I am just waiting for the next opportunity to be there and so forth. And I am now having the experience where they don't want the help. And it's a little disconcerting. It's like, but I've always done this for you. And now you don't want it. Now, there are other issues going on, but. Talk to us a little bit about this aspect of codependency as we continue talking with uh, Faith Alicia. She's the author of Do You See What I See? It's her latest work having to do with her life and her, her uh, disorder. But it, uh, it, it covers the gambit here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Alicia, please share with us your thoughts about this aspect of codependency and how these groups can really help, whether they be on Zoom or in person? I cannot even say enough. I'm with the group I'm with. It, it's small. And 
You know, it's the first thing that comes to my mind, it's safe. As I said, you know, there's shame. And even with the eating disorder, like now I'm talking on podcasts and I wrote a book about my life story. For so many years, they're just shame. And, you know, and it really goes back to those core beliefs of not feeling good enough. I'm not recovered. How could I write a book? That's a hit. I'm being a hypocrite. I'm not healed. But for me, healing is a lifelong process. There's not a destination. It, you know, my life, it's a journey. That's it. I've heard you talk about life, you know, being a teacher and the classroom and all that. And, and it's so true. With codependency for me, you know, it was about having no boundaries, no personal boundaries. So basically letting my children walk all over me because I don't want conflict. Again, this goes back to the childhood of fearing anger. Mm -hmm. So if I, I try to avoid confrontation because I don't want rejection, I don't want to be abandoned. You know, it goes back to all those those false beliefs about myself that I'm still working on, you know, proving that they're not true, but they're there, you know, they're, they're still there. I'm just working on being stronger. So the codependency, it's letting others make decisions for me, going against things that I believe in, and that's not okay. Like I am my own person. I'm capable of making my own decisions. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. You know, as long as I'm being my true self and I'm not hurting anyone, then I can say no. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. And it sounds horrible, but it's really your problem, not mine. I can't take on everyone's problems anymore. And I, I think with the codependency, also being an empath, like everyone's therapist, just dump all your stuff on me. So that, you know, we can talk through it because I, I do believe I'm very accepting because I, I know what it's like to, to just to have issues and, and not be perfect. So I accept people for what they are with no judgment, but it gets to a point where now it's starting to affect me when their issues are affecting me. We've crossed a line because I didn't know how to set boundaries. So being an altruistic person, like you say, that's a beautiful thing. That's such a gift because why am I putting this book out? When my father was an Alcoholics Anonymous in my later life, his whole thing was being of service to others. And he would sponsor so many people and, and he really did change lives. And when he passed away, three years ago, he passed away from Alzheimer's. I, I think that's when I decided to put the shame of the eating disorder aside because just like my dad, if, if I can help one person, I've done my job. I'm willing to put myself out there and be vulnerable because if it can help someone, that's what we have to do. So that's, I'm still protecting myself. You know, it's, I can have strong boundaries and not yes, 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 and not say no, and take on too much because I can't say no to anyone. Yeah. So I think that's more the line with the codependency. Okay. I would agree. I would um, uh, uh, be in alignment with you, especially in terms of the whole issue of not liking conflict, can't stand it. 
Uh, I can't stand it with others, and I can't stand it if it's in my life. Um, but just, I just don't like the energy, especially. Um, all right, maybe there's an underlying aspect of uh, wanting approval and so forth. That's probably true as well. Probably not so much from my family as much as from when I was a kid growing up in school and getting bullied. You know, and just wanting to belong, just wanting to belong, just wanting to be accepted. And that's interesting how, how we do that. And here I am in my 60s, I'm 61 years old, and I'm sitting here and I'm going, are you kidding me? I'm doing this, I'm going through this again? Seriously? And you talk, I've, I've even asked this question on, on numerous occasions from people who have been dealing with certain different disorders. And asking about, isn't there a point at which you recover? You don't have to, you don't have to deal with this anymore because you got it, you know? And it sounds like the answer to that question is no from a lot of people. What are your thoughts? Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be nice. Oh, my gosh. There wouldn't be any podcast because we'd all be healed. We'd all be awesome. But, you know, we are all awesome because we're perfectly imperfect. And that's the bottom line. You know, I say that this is a journey. I'm constantly going within. I have a therapist that I see every week. I journal. I'm constantly going deeper into those core beliefs that are not true and working on changing them by doing actions and behaviors that prove otherwise because I am competent I am capable even though that little voice is like no you're not you, and you know with the bullying it just shows how it's like one event in someone's life can just cause so much harm that you just carry with you and it just hurts me and I, I think that so many people we do have that and it, it's just hidden underneath you know it's looking in that mirror and just seeing the physical instead of hurt or pain, but getting to that and working on it and letting it out and crying and screaming or do, I don't scream because I don't <laughs> like anger. I told you, even though anger is just a feeling like anything else, but I can write about it and kind of work through it. The more self-awareness I could say, the healthier I become. So then when you say, then there is no, like, do we ever get over this? No. However, we keep learning more about ourselves, which is more freedom, more awareness, more acceptance of others, and it's just a more peaceful way to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, there are times when it can be a hard life, or at least it seems hard. Uh, but if we're still alive and breathing, well, then it wasn't that hard because it didn't kill us. I don't necessarily care for the phrase, uh, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but I mean, I know there's some truth to that. Uh, as we continue talking with uh, Faith Alicia, she's the, uh, uh, she's the author of Do You See What I See, having to do with uh, not only her own uh, uh, eating disorder, but also any other uh, disorders uh, that uh, you or I might be dealing with. I went through a lot of personal development programs, as I've shared on this program, over the years, over the last 40 plus years. And I remember sitting in one of them early on in the uh, early 80s called Lifespring, looking around the room and 
just kind of thinking I, I was really put together. I, I'm good. I'm good, you know. Uh, I don't know why the heck I'm here in the first place. Uh, and I was in my 20s, early 20s. Uh, so it kind of tells you where my, my, <laughs> my self-esteem was from the standpoint of, I'm good, I'm good. And wondering, when are these people going to get it? And uh, not too long after that, it dawned on me, uh, you're one of these people because you're in the room too. <laughs> so I had to recognize that uh, I am not alone and neither are they. And that, as you said, we are here to help each other. And we are here to help you folks by bringing you this program. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. This program is here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story, 9 a.m. on Wednesdays, and we stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, as well as iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other podcast platforms. And you can watch these interviews, and I hope you'll subscribe as well. On YouTube, we have a channel, Richard Dugan, Tell Me Your Story. Hope that you will watch the interviews. Hope you will go to our guest website, which, by the way, happens to be faithalicia.com. We will be linked to your website, to Faith, so that people can connect with you, contact you, and get more information, get a copy of your book. You have a lot of different links on your website to uh, various various disorders and so forth. And uh, a matter of fact, uh, just uh, to point out a couple, anorexia nervosa. You also have one on bulimia nervosa, as well as binge eating. Uh, let's see, there was one other. Oh, uh, there was also one here, uh, ARFID and then OSFED. Uh, before oh, we uh, go any further, can yeah. you elucidate on what those last two are, those acronyms? Yes. So these are just different types of eating disorders. Okay. So I like to provide information. So avoidant and restrictive, you know, intake disorder. And I don't want to get into each one, but otherwise specified eating disorders. The important thing to realize in all of that, because I give the DSM criteria and, you know, just is you know, if someone went to my website and you look at the criteria and like, well, I have this, but I don't have that. I don't have anything wrong. I'm fine. No two eating disorders are the same. No two recoveries are the same. This is something I, I stress all the time because I could have someone, you know, a support group of women with eating disorders and men because eating disorders do not discriminate against age, race, sex, socioeconomic background. They get it all. So no one's excluded from this joy of having this disorder. And no matter what our disorder, and we can all have different behaviors, remember to cover up or to help help us deal with whatever's going on, when we get underneath to the feelings, that's where we relate. It, it's underneath, not the symptom. So mm -hmm. I could be in a room with alcoholics and addicts and gambling addicts, if we all stop talking about the behaviors, like let's really get to the feelings underneath. It's usually from what I've found, because I've also been to AA meetings with my dad and that's a whole other story, but you know, it's just those feelings of not good enough, fear of abandonment, all those things. 
it just goes back to those false core beliefs about ourselves. Hmm. You know, I'm thinking about, because you have mentioned several times about the cover meaning something more. You know, when I drew the picture of the cover of my book, it's me looking in a mirror. That's like my little drawing of faith. And my distortion was off. What I looked like and what I saw in the mirror was different. And, you know, I, I just think everybody's walking around doing their thing. And I always tell my kids, everybody has a story. My mom used to say behind every garage, you know, there's something going on. Everyone has something. So, you know, I've met so many people and they're like, you're the most chill person. You're so laid back. If they only knew. <laughs> it's If they, like, I'm an Academy Award. Like, give me an Oscar for chilled, laid back artist of the year who suffers with extreme panic and anxiety all the time. I'm that good at hiding it. I mean, I'm like nervous now, but I'm really good at hiding it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't define me anymore. It's just, it, it's just a part of me mm -hmm. that I've learned to live with. And I've done the eight week mindfulness class and the eight week self-compassion class. I know you've spoken about hypnosis. I've gotten certified in hypnosis and Reiki, all these things to help me heal me. It's not about others. If I can help others, that's awesome. But it's more about myself. So, you know, it's so easy. We look at everyone just walking. It's do you see what I see? Because deep inside each person, there are hurts and there are pains and we all have stories. And I think with that outlook, it's just more acceptance. So when people are behaving in an unkind manner, I can just have some empathy and wow, I wonder what's going on within them. You know, it's not me. If you're having a tantrum at me, it's really not about me. It's something that's going on within you. So it's being more open to that, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. One of the other things that I have uh, come to realize is that we all have the same emotions. Certainly the intensities are different, that's true, but we all have the same emotions. That's what connects us. That's what makes us all the same. It is only the stories that make us unique, and we all have them. Uh, part of the reason why we do this program, because everybody has a story to tell, and we like to hear about them. And yours is, is, is a unique story as well, because it's yours. One of almost 8 billion, okay? But it, yours is as important as the others, 7,999,000, blah, blah, blah. But you also have, ha it's like you said before, it's what's going on underneath. It's what, what are you feeling? And then we'll get into the story as to why you're feeling that. I like one of the things that you do have up on your website uh, and I'm going <clears> to <throat> get back to that here uh, right now. You have this uh, little drawing where uh, uh, it says on one on the left side here, I am enough. I have enough. I do enough. On the other side of this particular drawing of you, you are enough. You have enough. And you do enough too. And then, of course, you say, Wow. Who knew? And I sometimes, I mean, we get, I get into conversations with my guests about, you know, just being. 
just being. Oh, you went over there and you got it because I was reading something and you did that. Your little doll there of you. I love that. I was going to ask you about that. I love her. (laughs) Tell me about her, please. So when I drew the picture of little Faith, so I was in a happiness. I'm always joining programs. So I did a six-week happiness workshop. So it was like happiness, mindfulness. And the instructor, he would always say, I have enough, I do enough, I am enough. And that became my mantra. It's true. It, if I sit back and think, and this is where blessings and, and gratitude, I have everything I need. You know, I am enough. We all are enough just as we are. So I, I was like, I have to make a doll of her. And it, you know, I told you, I don't believe in coincidences. So I was, I don't look on social media a lot. It's mostly like for marketing. I'm also a romance author. Mm-hmm. So I usually go on, on the romance author site. Sure. And this thing came up about where they make dolls of your drawings. And I was like, I have to get a little faith. And I just love her. And she's my little reminder. That, and I also have John Cena behind me, a doll. I was going to ask I, about that. Yeah. I love my John Cena. So I had bought him for my now 13-year-old. So when he has batteries in him, you're supposed to, like, throw him and, like, beat him up. And he says, the, the time is now. <laughs> yes. The time to heal and the time to take care of me is now. So when I look at my little John Cena, guess what? The time is now. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's now. Because right now is all I have. Yesterday is gone. This moment is all I have. So how do I want to live in this moment? So I have all my reminders. I love it. I absolutely love it. And especially the one you're holding in your arms, especially the way you phrase it. There it is. Your little faith. faith. All you need is a little faith and you have a little faith. And that's fantastic. We're talking with Faith Alicia and Little Faith as well here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And she has written a wonderful book that I think you should get a copy of going to faithalicia.com as we are, uh, we are uh, linked to her website. And the book is called Do You See What I See as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. You do know, folks, that we are bringing you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And one of the things that gets in our way is it's not the feelings as much as it is the stories that we tell ourselves. How do you, Faith, rewrite, overwrite, delete, and then write the new stories about faith that support the new paradigm that you are trying to create, that you are creating in your life to move away from uh, the whole disorder, uh, dis-ease, discomfort aspect of who you, um, away from that, to who you want to become. Okay. When I, I ended up going back to treatment a second time, um, I have three children. So I have an older son, daughter, and then a younger son. My daughter's senior year 
she had some issues and developed eating disorder as well. So my codependent self, this was before I even entered CODA, was, well, I have to get her better because I can't, first of all, knowing about eating disorder, I wasn't about to send her to college with an active eating disorder. That was not going to happen. So it was, I have to get her help. So basically put faith on the back burner because I'll deal with me later. I have to make sure my daughter's okay. So I did get her help and her eating disorder separate from mine. She has her dietitian. She has, you know, her therapist. And when I went back to treatment the second time, you know, it was the eating disorder, like any addiction is very manipulative. You know, I went into treatment again. It was more of, I don't want to let go of these behaviors because I cannot control all these things around me on a subconscious level. At the time when I came out of treatment, I had, you know, heard about mindfulness. So I took the eight week mindfulness-based stress reduction class, and I did it online, but I really put myself into it. I did the homework. You're supposed to do the journal things. I really did it. And my therapist who specializes in eating disorders, she had noticed that she was starting to see changes in me that she hadn't. So from that, he kept talking, you know, in the class, the instructor kept talking about, and then, you know, in the next phase is self-compassion. We have to be kind to ourselves. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not very kind to myself. So like, I need to learn how to do that. Because I thought I was kind to myself, but you know what, when you're taking care of everyone and not yourself, to me, that's not being very kind to myself because I need to put myself first and it is not selfish, it's self-care. So I did the eight week mindfulness-based self-compassion. And there were a lot of things I was like, I can't do this, this is silly. Like, it's okay, Faith, I love you. You know, just certain things. And I would just change them. But it was going from eight weeks of mindfulness, then eight weeks of the self-compassion. And then I did the six weeks of happiness. It was constant reinforcement over these old beliefs. Because I don't think these old thoughts are deleted. They're still there. Which shows when I stopped doing self-care first, like this past weekend, the little thoughts of, oh, it's too much. I'm overwhelmed, all that comes right back. So it's all still there. It's, I'm rewiring and I'm also like a big fan of Rickanson. I take his classes and all this with neuroplasticity. This gives me hope that I can change this brain that creates so much anxiety that I can create change in my body. And you know, when we were saying before, you're like, I love that a little faith. I have a lot of faith. And the reason is, you know, there was a time I had to withdraw from my last semester of college. And I do believe it was like codependency, separation anxiety, and I was agoraphobic. I wouldn't leave my house for six weeks. To, you know, be 20 years old and you see who your friends are when you're like not in the best place. So kind of losing my friends, you know, I was in a sorority, you think that there's that bond, no. You know, I maybe had one or two that stuck by me. It's a lonely place to be. So the fact that I pushed through that and still had hope, to me, it's something bigger than myself. Because there have been so many times in my life where something, you know, it's like that when you're walking in the sand and those are the times that I was carrying you. 
when you only see one step of footprints. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if you've ever heard that poem. Oh, yes. Very much. It, many times. There are so many times in my life where there's been one set of footprints. It has to be. That has to explain how I'm at this point in my life. And I also, when you were talking about life spring in your 20s, I guess I'm 52. And I don't know. I Maybe it's just like a change in life where I'm so interested in learning more about myself, more at open where I find with my kids who are in their twenties, it's more, not as much. And I know moral development, you know, it's in the early twenties. So, you know, it's, I, I do believe that having faith has pulled me forward and given me strength that I don't believe I had. That's the only explanation I can have for it. And then it's practicing all these things and nurturing that with meditation and practicing the mindfulness and all these things that help me each day. But it's not, the old tapes are not deleted. I can tell you that right now. They come back. If I don't constantly work on overriding them, rewiring them. Yeah. You know, in uh, this business, uh, in uh, audio production and editing, in the early days, at least my early days, not going back to the 30s or 40s, but the late 70s and 80s, uh, we would uh, work with a razor blade and a china marker and uh, uh, very, very narrow uh, pieces of tape to splice out the sections of audio that we didn't want. And then we also had this device. Now, it was usually referred to as an eraser, uh, but the technical term, at least as far as I'm aware, was called the, a degausser. And what it was electric. Usually it was an electric eraser. And what it did was when you uh, turned it on and you ran the audio tape over the top of it or vice versa, they had handheld ones which you would go around in circles on the reel-to-reel, -reel, and it would remove all of the... Elect I, I will call them electrical impulses, if you will, that were put there during the recording. It would remove them. It would erase them. Gone. Never to be retrieved. There is no undo. And I wish, and I, you probably feel the same way, <laughs> there are times I wish that we could do that with specific circumstances. However... I have also made this comment, and I'll have you discuss this as well. If it weren't for those memories, those experiences that we would like to erase or remove, we wouldn't be the people we are today. You would not have written this book. You would not be holding in your arms little faith. Uh, you would not have the experiences that you are having today in those success areas. Your thoughts? I, I totally agree with you. You know, I do believe each one of us has gifts and we all, we all have a purpose. And, and you're right. If I hadn't gone through everything, and there's so much more and it's in the book, I've gone through a lot, but it all makes me who I am today. If I hadn't, like I said, been carried in the sand, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have the faith I have today. I wouldn't have the inner strength. And isn't it funny how 
I have this inner strength to persevere and put one foot in front of another when the little core inside is like, you're not capable, you can't do it. But look, I keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. So it just shows you that they're false beliefs. And yes, gosh, it would be amazing if we could just erase them, but they do make up who we are. I heard something the other day and it was talking about life happening to me and it's that victim role. And I do think it's very easy to get stuck in that. Like, why does this have to happen to me? Why do I have to have an eating disorder? Why do I, and it goes back, I'm terminally unique. Why do I have to have all this stress? Everyone has all this stress. Everyone has something. It's how we deal with it. Unfortunately, when I was a child, I didn't learn healthy coping mechanisms. So, you know, this became, the eating disorder became an unhealthy coping mechanism. The anxiety was just trying to be in situations that were uncontrollable and always afraid of, of just something happening out of my control. So, you know, this is my early programming and now I'm trying to reprogram. But all of these things make us who we are. And I do believe my purpose is to have a voice, which ironically enough, I always felt my voice didn't deserve to be heard. And that's why writing is a passion, the romance writing, and I do it for me. If one person reads a book and not, not this book, obviously, because it's like deep stuff, but a romance book and smiles and goes to bed and has sweet dreams because, you know, they were on a, in a nice space before they went to bed. Mm -hmm. Yes, that fills me. You know, it's, I do believe that we have to find that purpose and that this is not my living. Obviously I have, you know, a daytime job, but I have to feed that part of myself and nurture and nourish that part of myself. Otherwise I do feel stifled. So we have to find what that is that lights us up inside and feed that no matter what it is, because it, that just creates that excitement to keep going and do more. What was the faith that you grew up with, the philosophy more so? What was, the, what was that that formed uh, your uh, concept of yourself and the world around you, the universe, uh, life after death, life before death, life uh, before this one and so forth and so on? Where, where, what were you raised in to start things and where are you today? So growing up, I'm Jewish. We were not religious. My parents were actually kosher caterers. So they were in temples a lot, you know, catering, but we didn't go to temple. You know, it was more traditional, the holidays. And I can say it's the same thing today. We, you know, do the holidays because, you know, it's tradition. Where I really learned about the spirituality and all that was through my dad. When my dad, my dad had been in AA and then had a relapse. And this was during my childhood. And he would only get drunk on like once a week because that's when my mother, because they worked together when my mother wasn't around because he didn't want her to know. And then the rest of the week he was on the dry drunk. So when I was 16, I got to see him drunk and throw a metal chair and just, it was awful. And my mother, you know, gave him an ultimatum, either go to 28 day treatment or I'm getting a divorce. 
which I honestly believe in my heart she wouldn't have done because I, I do believe there was a dependency on that as well. I, it doesn't matter because she did stay with him and thank God he did go back to AA. And when he came home and started, he was very like, that was it. AA was his life. He was like right back into it. And at first I hated it because the preaching and stop preaching with the higher power, it was annoying to me. But the more he would talk about it, karma and you have to do the right thing, all of these messages in my later teens and then in the 20s is what formed my basis. And then there is a story in my book where I did go to another 12-step program earlier on and worked the steps. So it's more been spiritually based rather than religious based. Mm -hmm. And I try to teach my children that as well. Like we have to respect that everyone has whatever faith they have and whatever helps them. That's great. For me, I prefer to have my own relationship with my higher power of an understanding rather than sitting in a group for me and telling someone how to believe it works better for me to have that meditation and just private time trust my intuition, trust that guidance. For me, that's been more helpful. And like I said, it's different for everyone, whatever works, that's great. For me, that's been my journey is more the spiritual and that did come from my dad. I, I, I have to uh, smile and because uh, unless you're watching the YouTube video, you can't see yeah. what I see. <laughs> I have to tell you how much I love the fact that you are just holding on to little faith like that. Uh, it's beautiful. The thought that comes to me from what you just shared, uh, the image in my mind, is that we are floating down a river. And there are times when it's very nice. You might go from side to side, from bank to bank, and then go out in the middle again. And then there are times when you hit the rapids. And this is not a river that you can get out of, Okay. I don't want to say that you're stuck, but that's the metaphor. And when you're going through the rapids, you definitely want to get out. And I know there's some people who like that kind of a ride. I'm not a big roller coaster kind of guy either. But um, there are times when going through the rapids, like, I, I just, I want to get off. I want to breathe. I want to take a break. Okay. And life doesn't work that way. It doesn't necessarily give you breaks until you've gone through the rapids, through those rolling hills of water, as it were. Um, how's that been for you, if we can use that metaphor? How's that been for you in your... And again, I've been around 61 years. It's still less than a puff of smoke in, in existence. You've been around 52 How's that journey for you been as far as hitting the smooth, quiet places and then the rapids, um, obviously time and time again? How's that been for you? You know what? I really think it depends on perception because when I'm not taking care of myself and, you know, just nurturing myself, anything can feel like a rapid. The smallest thing throws me over. Oh my gosh, like what? I don't need this right now. When I'm better able to handle things when I'm in a better state, which comes back to then, you know, the self-care. I used to teach preschool because I have 
my background teaching and the book, you know, going on a bear hunt. And I've been saying this for years because I don't know if anybody you know, has heard this, but we're going on a bear hunt. You know, we're going to catch a big one. We're not scared. You know, been there before. Mm-hmm. So the kids have to walk through the grass. Can't go over it. Can't go under it. Got to go through it. And then it's the swampy water. And to me, that's life. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You got to go through it. It's true. Mm. We have to go through it. It'd be great. Okay, so I can avoid it and go over and under it by engaging with my eating disorder. But then when the same problem's still there. So I have to go through the process as hard as it is. And, you know, by learning all these tools and strategies, you know, that's what I speak about most about in the book, along with the hardships. And then, you know, because again, life is this roller coaster. It's changes the perspective. There's, there's a picture in the book and it's just being on the hamster wheel or being on the merry-go-round, get off, just get off, just step off the ride. But it's so hard sometimes because you're spinning in a wheel so fast, you just can't step off. And so what I would say to that and from your question is in those times when the rapids are, where you really do feel like you're drowning and this is not easy, ask for help. Yeah. Those are the times we need, there is support out there. And from someone who feels terminally unique, there are others who feel the way I do, obviously, I say, you know, if I was the only one who felt like this, why were there so many people in treatment with me two times? Why are the 12 step rooms filled with people? I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. There are many people and it's such a freedom when you reach out for support from people who are going through the same things, the acceptance, the warmth, and like, oh, I could breathe and just be myself. They accept me with all my flaws. It's such a freedom. It's just such a blessing. We're not alone. But asking for help, that's, you know, it's not easy for me, but something that I have to consciously practice is when I'm stuck, ask for help. Tell me the difference from your perspective between a victim and a responsible person in in dis-ease or disorder. I don't like to say victim because I'm just going to say someone who is in the throes of any addiction or, or disorder, dis-ease, it is so all-consuming that it does feel like life is happening to us because we don't know different. How do I, how do I get off that merry-go-round when all this stuff keeps happening to me? It's so hard to take the blinders off. So I don't like to say the person's a victim, but it's kind of, I just, I, we all have strengths and then we have areas that we like to work on. So I don't like to, because It's more about, we just have to find others who can relate to us and help us. And the bottom line is, which maybe answers your question, until we are ready to make a change, things are going to stay the same. Mm -hmm. I went to treatment two times. 
I worked the system, so to speak. I was the, I'm always the perfectionist. I'm a perfectionistic person, hence eating disorder. Because if I'm perfect, I won't get in trouble and everyone's going to love me and everyone's going to not abandon me or reject me. So I have to be perfect. Well, when there is no perfection and you can never live up to your own expectations, you'll fall short many times and you don't feel so good about yourself. So that that's off the table. And I wasn't ready. And even years later, when I went back to treatment, I manipulated. I mean, I'm being honest. I did what I was supposed to do, but I'm going to do this in front of you. But you know what? You don't know what I'm not, what I'm doing when I'm not here. Nobody knows. So I'm not ready to let go of my eating disorder. Now, is that victim? No. It was so afraid to let go of the only thing that was giving me a false sense of security and control. The fear of change and unknown was more scary than living in the nightmare of an eating disorder. And it wasn't until, honestly, I started that mindfulness class is when everything started to change. And hearing about neuroplasticity, like, wait a minute, you're saying I can change my brain? I can actually change the wiring of my brain, this was blew me away. So I'm like, oh, I'll have to do this. I have to change the wiring of my brain. I have to make it better. So I keep doing these things to, to make it better because the other way wasn't working. So it's not really a victim, but until we're ready, like I said, I went to treatment twice and I wasn't ready either time. I think I really hit that bottom and it's amazing how things just happen in our lives, how I saw an advertisement for the mindfulness program. Amazing how that works mm -hmm. at the time I was supposed to take it. And I took the class and then I was ready. And am I totally recovered? No, I have days that are bad, but we all have days that are bad. But today I don't have to beat myself up. I can say, you know what, Faith, it's okay. We're going to get up. I'm going to you know, work on my meditation. I'm going to kick up my self-care more to get back on track. I don't have to beat myself up anymore because we all fall down. It's about getting up again. I have talked with people about eliminating the words uh, success and failure from the vocabulary because it's really about learning. And yet there is one definition uh, that I might consider holding on to the word failure uh, in light of what you just said. Uh, there is no failure if you fall down and get up again. Only when you don't get up. And I thought that was interesting. But even that's a choice. If I don't want to get up yet, maybe I'll get up later. Okay, right now I want to sit here and I want to wallow in my own self-pity. But I remember one of my general man, my very first general manager, uh, and she was great. And I remember getting nervous early on in my career in 79, 80. And she would always tell me, says, okay, Richard, I know you're nervous. I know you want to have a little uh, 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 pity party. Oh, okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold on to that. Okay. Don't do anything with that. I want you to go ahead and take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. And then when you're done, when you got it all taken care of, you can go over in the corner and you can have your little pity party. Of course, by the time you get the problem solved, you, you don't need it. 
you know, right. because you've succeeded. And that was that was really what she was trying to say. And as far as coincidence, don't believe in them. What I do believe in are coincidences, events that coincide. Although we could uh, certainly use the word synchronicity uh, as well. Be that as it may, it is amazing, as you said, how things come into our lives just when we need them. Like you, Faith Alicia, and your book, Do You See What I See? Here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, faithalicia.com is the website that we will be linked to, and we certainly hope, folks, that you will go to her website, get a copy of her book, and learn more about this, if, if not for you, for someone else. And I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we are talking with Faith Alicia. And uh, Faith, I want to thank you so much. Uh, you have uh, given us so much time as well as a, a whole lot, not only to think about, but also uh, an awareness that we aren't alone. We all have our different levels of disorder and dis-ease. Some are greater, some are lesser. But uh, we are all, as the phrase goes, we're all in the same boat. We're all going down that same river, uh, going through those nice smooth patches and then the rapids and smooth patches and so forth. And I thank you so much for uh, taking us on this journey today. Well, I thank you so much for letting me be here. You know, what you were just saying with the fall down real fast with my kids because, well, they're not going to say yes or da 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 my, I always say, if you don't buy a lotto ticket, you have no chance of winning. If you buy one, it's a small chance, but so I kind of, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So if I take that risk, I have a little chance, but if I don't get up or if I don't buy it, I'm 100% not going to win. I'm not going to win, you know, so yeah. it's kind of the same thing. Exactly. And it's true. So yeah. I have to buy that ticket. Not literally, of course, but just take that little chance. Take that little risk because who knows what will come of it. And also with coincidences, I think we've seen things throughout our lives, but we're not ready for them or our eyes are still closed. So those messages will keep coming until we're ready to, to be open to them. Yeah. Well, I, again, thank you so much. I do have three final questions that I do like to ask all of my guests, and I'll ask you in just a moment. But first, I want to thank you for listening and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And we're streaming live at all four of those times at richarddugan.com. The podcasts of these programs are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other platforms as well. We are also on YouTube where you can listen and watch these interviews and get a glimpse of little Faith, who, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I need to get one of those. I love that. I love it. I absolutely. Well, Budsies. What's that? It's called Budsies. I'm going to give them a shout out. B-U-D-S-I-E-S. -E yes. And their company here in Florida. Amazing. I'm so, they made her exactly how I drew her. 
So, yeah, to that. that's fantastic. Well, we'll look into that as well. And we certainly uh, hope, folks, that you are enjoying these programs as we lay out this, uh, as we say every time, this giant smorgasbord of ideas and choices and so forth. Take what resonates with you today. Come back again and try something new. We hope you'll do that. And if you like what we are presenting, what we are laying out on this table, and you'd like to support us financially, I have to tell you how grateful I am for those who have helped and for those who are going to help us. We have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. All you have to do is go to PayPal. You want to send something? then use my email address to send to richard at richarddugan.com. That's richard at richarddugan.com. Any amount is welcome, and we greatly appreciate uh, all of the support that we have gotten over the years. We also remind you to take time during the decade of perfect vision to stop, to spend some time in that quiet, still, peaceful, calm place. Listen to that still, small voice. It's there for you. We hope you'll take the time to do that. And with all of that said, let me now go into the final, final segment of our uh, program. And that is the final three questions to our guest. We ask all of our guests these questions. And the first is, who is Faith Alicia? Faith Alicia is a... It's a person on a journey of self-discovery. That's what I am. I'm on a journey of self-discovery to find out who I really am and to just get to that enlightened place of pure acceptance of myself. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? My hope is to bring awareness to eating disorders, because I think it's a topic that's still quiet and shameful. So to bring awareness that we deserve to get help, there is help, and you're not alone. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is to touch others. That's my purpose, is to, is to help others. I do believe that's my purpose. Well, Alicia, I thank you. Uh, Alicia. Faith, Alicia. Okay. I'll I, 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 <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the program today. It's been a great pleasure, and we look forward to having you back again, and maybe uh, we can dive into that whole romance realm that uh, I guess a lot of people, they're still looking for that in their lives, too. Yes. Wonderful thing. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast. Love to lol.